but it's really good to be here, and I'm so excited to be preaching this morning. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of weddings in the life of the church the last week. Uh, we had one on Monday, one yesterday, and, uh, and I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, hey, tell us about the high point of the wedding, Gabe. I'm glad you asked. H- high points of every wedding. You can keep the, 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 the bride's entry. You can keep the first kiss. You can keep the vows, I do, the rings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are cool. Those are important, but yeah, let's move past them. We all know the real moment happens on the dance floor. You know it. You know it. And especially when you're a guy like me who's got rhythm for days, who is made for the dance floor. You just know you're biding your time. You're playing it cool. You're playing it cool. You're playing it cool because you know your moment's coming. But there's, a sp- there's this moment in the dance floor. If you, if you haven't been to a wedding for a while, it's this moment where you know everyone's dancing and it's just all over the place. There's a group there, a group there, a group there. But it comes a moment where the space opens up. It's like Moses parting the Red Sea. And everybody moves into a circle. Anyone know this moment? And the space opens up. The space opens up there. And it's, it's just it's like an invitation for somebody like me to take center stage. And I just can feel the beat. My leg starts to go. You know, I'm like, here we go, Gabe. This is your moment. This is what you've been training for. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And the moment comes. And now, it's just, it's unbelievable. When I start to dance, I'd love to show you, but you guys already know. When I start to dance, this, the, there's a shift in the atmosphere, you know? The ladies are swooning. Men are wanting to be me. And there's just this ripple that goes to the crowd as I'm starting to move and I'm breaking it down. And people are, there's, there's, there's shrieking and the people are, cannot believe what's going down. Like, this is happening. And then I hear people one by one whisper to one another. And the whisper gets louder and louder. They say this phrase. They say this. They look to each other saying, are you watching this? Are you watching this? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you watching this? You got to get to a wedding where I'm at, guys. You got to get there. But I want to tell you that today because I, I say that with, with all, uh, all seriousness in my heart because I'm so excited because I really believe that actually in this series, if you're not unaware, we're preaching a series to the book of Ruth, an Old Testament book, the eighth book in the Old Testament called Ruth. And as we navigate our way through it, we really are believing that God is going to do something so profound as we preach it, that actually, in a sense, this is a moment of anticipation. I believe that as we are preaching this series, space is opening up for people. And it's an invitation for somebody to take the space, somebody to own the space, to move past the insecurities, to move past the awkwardness, to move past the fears, the anxiety, to say, actually, I'm going to own the space that God is opening up for me. And I want to tell you, not not just a whisper around a circle, but I really believe that this morning especially, and I'm filled with such faith for this morning, for everyone online, everyone in the room, that actually all of heaven is leaning in and going, are you watching this? Are you watching this? Are you watching this? Because sons and daughters of the living God are going to take the space. And I really believe this series is not just for you and I, it's for our city. So we're going to do something together right now. If you're online right now, I want you to tag four or five friends, tag five people, and just all you have to write is this one line. Are you watching this? You got to tell them, are you watching this? If you're in this room right now, why don't you get your phones out? We, why don't you get your phones out right now? Do it. Come on, come on, come on. We are partnering. We get your phone out. Get online. Or if you need an SMS somebody and just tell them, are you watching this? And they might reply, what? <laughs> then there's a great opportunity for you to point them to what God is doing. But I really believe we've got to partner together in this moment. Are you doing it in the dark? Are you doing it? Give me a yes if one or two of you are doing it. Come on. We've got to do this because are you watching this? Because I really believe that this morning is going to be so significant and so groundbreaking that many of us will trace back to this moment when we walk into the space that God is opening up. Are you ready for that? Father, I pray for us this morning. 
as we preach the Word of God together, as we preach it and receive it and believe it and act on it, I thank you, God, as the space opens up, sons and daughters will take the space. And all of heaven is saying, are you watching this? And as all of hell trembles and says, are you watching this nervously? Because the people of God are on the move. Prisoners are being set free. And we're moving into the space that you have got for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Are you watching this? Why don't you turn to your neighbor if you're in the room and just tell them, are you watching this? Our series in the book of Ruth, if you are unfamiliar with the text, it opens up with the, this is the praise of the times that this lady Ruth and her family Naomi and the rest of the cast of the characters uh, find themselves in, in the days the judges lived, we find five things that were brought to our attention last week. Five things that was uh, the epitome of life in the days of the judges. We found there was anarchy. They did as they, everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did as they pleased. There was famine in the land. There was a tightening of belts. There was pressure economically on all fronts. There was Bad decisions being made. Good people making bad decisions. People moving their families to places out of fear, out of insecurity. People stepping out into places they shouldn't be out of fear. Fourthly, we find a sexual depravity as people just gave themselves over in wanton lust and desires and, and there was crazy background stories to all these characters from a sexual position. And then the fifthly and finally, there was death. There was death as we find out that one by one, Elimelech died, and Naomi's two sons died. And as, we, as Mark did such a great job last week, as he helped us navigate this journey, he just brought to our attention, it doesn't sound too dissimilar to the world we're living in today. This is not a book for one day one, back then. This is a day book for us now, helping na us navigate these crazy times called 2021 together. But I love this understanding that we get to this story where the, the crux of it, last week we landed with Naomi and Ruth leaving for this land called Moab where they had gone in fear and anxiety and, 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 and running from what, what, what was over there, but running to try and find the solution on their own without inquiring of God. We find this line that says, but there came a moment where they moved from there, from Moab, back to Bethlehem, back to the house of bread, back to where God wanted them to be. A simple, simple statement. And it's in a sense a journey of them moving from here to there, the space opening up and two people saying, we're gonna take the space. But what's so lovely is we keep reading the story and wanna help us this morning is that on the journey home from there to the house of bread, from Moab to Bethlehem, we just, she discovered that though she left Moab, a whole lot of Moab was still inside of Naomi. Naomi had left Moab, but when she gets back to Bethlehem, she finds that a whole lot of Moab was still inside of her. And we want to read that together and make sense of that together. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 to 22, it says this. So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, she responded. Instead, call me Mara which means bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Are you watching this? See, this incredible story has this 
this moment, this hinge moment in between chapters one and chapter two where Naomi comes back and she says, don't call me pleasant, don't call me what I once was because as I, in this journey of being walking into Moab, I've come back empty. I left full, I came back empty. I left pleasant, I've come back bitter. And she comes back with this, this bitterness, this resentment, this, this anger inside of the seething uh, frustration inside of us of the things that were lost, the things that were taken away, the things that happened in Moab seem to be holding her back from taking the space that's in front of her. And that's what I want to help us understand today. I want to talk about this thing called bitterness and offense. And I want to say to you this moment, are you watching this? Because I want to tell you that bitterness is the silent killer. It is a silent enemy that nobody sees, nobody knows, nobody understands, but it's the thing that destroys more destinies than I want to leverage nearly anything else you go through. Steals more future, steals more space, steals more joy, steals more life than anything we come up against. And I want to make this statement to you us today that either we can get bitter or we can get better. But you can't have both. And whatever one you decide to stay and lean into, your bitterness or getting stronger, whatever you make decision you make on one of those things, that decision will determine your future. Either way. So as we go on this journey today, I want to help us understand the root of this thing. And, uh, and we all know, bitterness and, and offense, it always starts small. It always starts small. It's this, it's this crazy thing. It's ne- but I want to say it always starts small, but it's never a small thing. It always starts small in the smallest way. And, uh, and it can start as simply as, let me just confess to you today, it can start as being blue ticked. Anyone know what that is? When you send a message, they've read it, they're not responding. They're online. They're not responding. And very quickly, something can get in here. Hey, 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 do they have better things to do? Wow. You can start with something like that. It can, can start with a cruel, unthinking joke. It can start with a look. It can start with something that someone doesn't say. Or more seriously, it can start with many years ago with abuse, with hurt, with betrayal, with hatred. It always starts small, but it always becomes something much larger that we don't know how we can control ourselves. And I want to say it again, nothing destroys destinies and shrinks futures just like this thing, bitterness. I want to say again, are you watching this? Are you watching this? It's so important for us to understand it. And I want to give us a a brief understanding from the scriptures, what offense does, because I think we tolerate it too. We're in a fence-ridden culture. Let's be honest. Everyone is a fence. Cancel culture. You're out. It's offense. We're waiting to pick up offense in seconds. But I want to help us from a Christian perspective of what offense does. If I'm saying the statement, it destroys futures like nothing else. Let me tell you what offense does according to the Bible. Firstly, offense deceives it says that offense will deceive us. And what happens when, when, when the deception of offense starts to take hold of our hearts, we can't see the grace or the space that is available. We only start to learn to see the pain. We stop being able to see with eyes of grace and potential. We start seeing our eyes of pain. It starts to deceive us. And I love this, that actually I want to say, or I don't, but it's so strong, is that undealt with wounds are the breeding ground for deception. You don't believe me. Let's let's say what Jesus says here. Jesus says this in Matthew 7 and 24. He says, in the last days, many will be offended and many will be deceived. 
You can keep the, your, 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 your blood moons. You can keep your end time theology and what you think will happen. And this, those all things, yeah, yeah, more. But Jesus says, many will be offended and many will be deceived. Now, I love it because Jesus says this thing. He says, and what, as he keeps talking in this incredible sermon about the end times, he said, amongst you, wolves will arise clothed in sheep's clothing, ready to deceive people. And let me tell you what I love about that is it doesn't say many wolves in shepherd's clothing. Because a lot of us, and myself included, spend our times looking at pulpits, going, where's the deception there? But we forgot that actually the deception is actually in the pews. Wolves within sheep's clothing. <laughs> and this is linked to this idea of offense. Offense and deception are linked. And I want to tell you, we have to look inside. Are you watching this? It gets in much easier and quicker. And I'm not saying they're not false teachers. I, I know there are. But I'm telling you, I think there are more false teachers standing behind Facebook keyboards and walking down our streets than there are in pulpits. People allowing offense to dictate their theology, offense to dictate their love, their generosity, their futures, the space they walk in. Are you watching this? It deceives. Secondly, it deadens. What do I mean by that? It deceives us. But then all of a sudden, we, no, we can't see the grace, but then we... Very quickly, we can't ever move into the grace. Grace might be available. You might be in the moments where God is moving and you're going, and people go, what a service. And you go, I felt nothing. I say, are you watching this? This stuff happens. And uh, Hebrews 12 verse 15 says this way, see to it that no one fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out for this. Are you watching this? Watch out that no root of bitterness grows up and causes you trouble, and by it many become defiled. The writer of Hebrew calls it the root of bitterness, because it just starts with something small. It starts with something small and seemingly insignificant, but it grows up fast, and it says here that it will defile many. It's not even just because of up to your future, it will defile many others' futures. Are you watching this? It deceives, it deadens. And I want to say as strongly as I can, it demonizes. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, in the Sermon of the Mount, not some obscure place in Scripture, Sermon on the Mount, people. He says, those who harbor bitterness and offense in their hearts are in danger of a living hell. The fires of hell, Gehenna, the place where the fire never goes out. This is what Jesus says, and Proverbs 6 tells us about the seven deadly sins. And I went and read it again, the seven deadly sins. Adultery doesn't make it in there, but offense and bitterness does. Are you watching this? And it's so huge, it actually strongholds, this is what the Bible uses the word strongholds. If I can teach us a little bit, the strongholds are established, and it's just a root of bitterness, it's just a look, it's just a message not to reply to, it's just a phrase carelessly said, it's just something that happened in the past, somebody snubbed you, someone didn't give you the job that you wanted, someone didn't say the thing, and resentment comes, just a root, but it deceives, it deadens, it demonizes if we're not watching this thing. 2 Timothy 2 says it this way, those who are offended with each other are easily taken captive to do Satan's will. It starts to affect others. The root of bitterness is no small thing. So what's our response? Luke 17, I need my, my, I need my boys, I need my guys. Come on, come help me, come help me, come help me here, come help me. 
You see, Luke 17 tells us that Jesus' teaching, he says that opportunity will always come. Opportunity, offense is not something that's, oh, that's not for me. Let me tell you, this message is for you. This message is for me. It's, this is for us. Are you watching this? Because Jesus says offense will always come. And let me tell you, practically speaking, every single day, offense is walking right by you again and again. Opportunity for offense. Just walking by, walking by, walking by. Just like these guys. They're doing such a great job. <laughs> Honestly. These are amazing guys. Come on. But this is what happens. Guys, opportunity for offense is walking past you. And let me just say this before we get stuck in here, is that offense will often come from those closest to you. Why? Because our expectations are higher. Why are so many people more offended with their pastor, with their spouse, with their parents, with their children, with their bosses, with Christians? Because expectations are higher. This, this one's for free. Anyway, no one said anything, but anyway, we'll move on. But let me tell you this illustration. You see, this is how offense works. I'm living my life, and the opportunity for offense is walking past me every single day. Opportunity. Just going, going, going. But then, you know what? I can be living my life, and then this guy says something to me, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not letting this one go past me. This one, hey, that's, that's not cool, bro. I, I don't appreciate that joke. I just do not like it. Thank you so much, bro. Whatever. I can't believe that dude, man. Hey, can you believe he said that to me? And I'll just carry on with my day, and then uh, another situation will come past me, and uh, maybe then uh, the pastor says something, and if he said, preach it, but I go, he knows something. That not, that's not cool, pastor. How dare he say that? How dare the pastor say that to me? No ways. Then another guy comes and uh, makes a little joke, and maybe it's a bit of a, a racial joke. Thanks, Bunty. And I'm a little bit sensitive because race issues are heightened. And a guy says something, and whether it's about a black person, about a white person, or a white person, a black person, I'm like, yo, 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 bro. I've seen your stuff on Facebook. That's not cool. And we pick up and get angry. Deceives, deadens, starts to demonize. And then, uh, you know the one? The, the wife forgets something, you know? The wife forgets my birthday. It's not, I'm not, not speaking anything natural. You know, or, or maybe better, maybe for the wife. Let's just be equal opportunists, yeah? The husband forgets to unpack the dishwasher. You said you would do it. I've asked him so many times. I'm not, I'm not testifying again. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but you know what happens? Very quickly, our lives come, and we just slowly become the roots of bitterness. It's so easy for us to pick up, and we end up just taking hold of anything, any slight, any phrase that somebody says to us things people don't say. Maybe it's a bit more, ser more serious, and it's not just small things. Things from our past. Somebody hurt us. Somebody said something. Someone rejected us. Somebody did something they should not have done, and it's not okay. But we hold it, and we take hold of the thing, and we take all these things on us. We pick them up, and we think life is good. But let me tell you, this is what happens with offense. You pick it up, and very quickly, you become bound. You become bound. And let me tell you the thing. They're still walking free. We think we're punishing them. We think we're holding resentment against them, but the only people that we are binding is ourselves. And here's the kicker about the space that's opening up. The ultimate thing, number three, if you can see that. We pick it up. We get bound. We stop being unable to do what God has called us to do. God will say to you, Gabe, but be generous. I really want to, but I just can't, you know, because the last time I did that, I got taken for a ride. God will say, actually, why don't you forgive your wife 
yeah, but you know what? I can't, but I just can't get past that. I can't get past that thing. We stop being able to do what God just calls us to. God said, even the smallest things start to become huge things. Lift your hands and worship. Nope. I will not do what the pastor told me to do. You know what he said last time? I can't get them up. We get bound. But here's the solution. You ready for the solution? The Bible says that this is how easy it is. It says, drop it. Drop it. And here's the thing. Here's the kick for us. It says that the Bible says this in 1 Peter 5. Cast your anxieties, cast your burdens, cast your offenses onto Jesus. Don't cast them onto Instagram. Don't cast them onto the family WhatsApp group. I'm just saying and leaving this here. No, don't leave it there. Cast it onto Jesus. Don't cast it onto your neighbor that has always got an eager ear to listen because it deceives, it, demonize, it deadens, it demonizes, and it will take you captive. Cast on Jesus. Drop it. But secondly, the Bible says, let them go free. Let them go free. Let them go. Because this is what happens. Obviously, I've forgiven, but I'm not forgetting. And they keep walking, parading before me all the time. I've forgiven, but I'm going to keep reminding myself of what they did to me, what they said to me, what they didn't do to me. But here's where the Bible gets incredibly hard. Here's a third thing. If you want to be really free, Jesus says this. You know, in the whole of the Gospels, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he never once says to us, pray for your mom. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus never says, pray for your best buddies. No. Jesus doesn't say, pray for your granny, your husband, you fill in the gap. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, he says, pray for those who mistreat you. The better rendition of that says, bless those who abuse you. Now, I'm not here to make light of abuse or what potentially has happened to you. I don't know the story you've been to, and I, and I want to say, I, 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 there's pain in my heart thinking about it and going, that's wrong what happened. It's wrong. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says this, drop it, let them go, and thirdly, load them with blessing. Load them with blessing. Load them with blessing. Load them with blessing. Fill them with blessing. Take the bags that are full of, of hatred and enmity and start putting them on them. Put the good things of God on them. Psalm 35 says that. The psalm says, though, though I've been so mistreated by a put on sackcloth and ashes, and I prayed for their prosperity. Jesus preached like this once. Do you know that? Jesus preached just like what I'm doing on offense and unforgiveness. And so much so that you could hear the deathly silence. And Peter, the only one who would say, said, how many times do we have to do this? What if the guy, what if it's like a serial, a serial, somebody who just offends us all the time. They just keep doing it. Jesus says, 70 times seven. Now, there's figurative understanding to that. But even on a literal level, let's just think 70 times seven. My maths ain't that good, but that's 490 times. A day? A week? I don't know. But this is so profound that Jesus, when Jesus said 70 times 7, what is so huge is Peter said this phrase. Peter said, Aish, that's hard. <laughs> Gabe Phillips' translation. He said, Aish, that's hard, and that should be our response. And this is what he said next. Lord, increase my faith. You guys have done great. Well done. Well, I love that. Increase my faith. 
Because in that moment, Jesus said, this is not about your feelings. This is about your faith. Your future will not be determined by your feelings. Your future will be determined by your faith. But you don't know what they... But I can't get... But he said... She said, no, well, it's not about what they did or what he said, she said, didn't do. But your faith, this one's on you. Your freedom is not on them and their apology. Your freedom is not on them on the way they will dictate it. No, your freedom is on your faith. This is what is huge for us today. Are you watching this? Are you watching this? I'm going to tell you, you guys ready for the revelation that will help us? That's helped me. We have a savior named Jesus Christ who taught incredibly hard things. Hard things like this. Fighting for this, our space. Fighting for us to have a, 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 a life of spaciousness. We will live with freedom and joy and power and purpose and not bogged down. So much so that actually he came to this earth as a man. And the Bible tells us that as he came onto this earth, he died on a cross. And what is so huge, I've just been marveling at the cross. As Sharon starts to play. Because I knew it. I knew this. Good, good move. But when Jesus died on the cross, this is what I love about the cross. It never gets old to me. I just start learning new, more things again and again. God reveals greater and greater truth. When Jesus died on the cross, he died as the victim, the innocent one, the lamb led to the slaughter like a sheep, one who was spotless, without blemish, without sin, the one who he went as the victim, the innocent one who was lied about, who was betrayed, who was, who had, was whipped and mocked and beaten and was destroyed and hung upon a cross by the hands of those he created. Jesus was the innocent victim. And yet, at the same time, the Bible tells us, on the cross, he became the perpetrator. He took our sin upon himself. He became the weight of the, the, he took on the weight of the world upon himself. He became the vile adulterer. He became the one who offends. He became the perpetrator of sin. He became the liar, the, the, the one with hatred in his heart. He became our sin on the cross. He took every single offense as the victim. He took every offense as the perpetrator, and he lay, it all laid upon him. Jesus was bogged down with all the weight of the sins of the world on him. So much so that the space for him was closed shut and he died a death that we deserved. That we had offended God, but he said, I'll take it upon myself, Father. He took it on him. And this is the cool thing as he went into the graves, he let us, the true perpetrators, go free. The word for offense in the original language is scandalon, meaning the scandal, it's, 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 a, it's a bait, it's a, it's a trap, it's like a hook. That's what offense is, it's like a hook, waiting for who will, who will take hold of it and it will reel you in. It will deceive you, it will deaden you, it will demonize you, it will pull you in and pull you into a small space. So when we forgive people, it says we're letting them off the hook. And when we do that, we find that we're actually letting ourselves off the hook. We find ourselves go free. And this is where it gets even better. Jesus took the weight of the world on himself. He let us go free. But this is huge. He did not leave us morally neutral. The Bible tells us he loaded us up with blessing. Those who hated him, those who despised him, those who rejected him, those who keep running away from him, those who offend God with their sin, those who keep going to the places again and again. God says this because of Christ Jesus, your sin goes on him and the righteousness of God goes on you. 
He loads us up with the blessing of the Father. The fullness of joy, peace, life, freedom, forgiveness. He puts it on us. Undeserving. We do not deserve it. We should have earned it. But He said it's putting on you. This is the power that we have. Are you watching this? Okay, right. Watch this then. Fine. Watch this. Ruth chapter 4 verse 14 to 17 says this. The end of Ruth and Naomi's story. This is years later. Ruth and Boaz. Boaz has come and redeemed. A type of Christ has redeemed Ruth and given her a child. Where Naomi had her children stripped from her. She becomes a grandmother again. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. That's not all. Watch this. Revelations chapter 5. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Watch this. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Let me tell you who the root of David was. The one who came from David's line, the one who came from David's line, the same son that, Naomi, that Ruth bore, that gave put in Naomi's arm, the one who was empty, the one who was bitter, had the son Obed in arms who would give birth to Jesse, who would give birth to David, who would give birth eventually all the way down the line to Jesus, the root of David. Let me say it this way. The root of David is always greater than the root of bitterness. The root of David will always take you further into greater space and the root of bitterness will drag you in the opposite direction. This is the good news of the gospel to you and I. I want to say if you've been abused, if you've been lied to, used, lied about, forgotten about, taken advantage of, I want to say to you today, today is the day to uproot the root of bitterness and release the root of David. Can we stand to our feet? I feel with such faith today that Jesus is here in our midst and he's canceling debts. He's canceling the record of wrong against that were were held against us, that we've held against others, that debts are being canceled in our hearts. Online in this room, that debts are being canceled in this moment. And I really believe that prisons are being released. Prisons are being released from being held in bondage to what others did to us, said to us, didn't do for us, didn't say to us. And I want to tell you today, as we release the prisoners, as we release that bitterness and offense and abuse and mistreatment and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. I want vengeance, but vengeance belongs to my God. As we release the prisoners, let me tell you today, space is opening up and the true prisoners are being set free, which is us. We will no longer be held captive by bitterness. We'll no longer be held by offense. We'll no longer be captive to unforgiveness. No longer, because he has loaded me up with blessing. I can release the prisoners and go free. Why don't you lift your hands with me? Lift your hands in this room. The spirit of the living God, the root of David, the spirit of God is here. Want you set sons and daughters free. Offense from 30 years ago, 40 years ago, offense against governments, offense against uh, friends, family members, offense against the enemy. Say, God, actually, I'm letting it go. I'm moving into what you have. I'm moving into what you have. Just before we worship, I want to say as our hands are lifted up in this moment, keep your hands as high as they can, symbolic of hands open. 
hands open, nothing hidden. Jesus, and as we have got our hands up, in a sense, drop it, drop it, drop whatever's in your hand. Drop it, drop it, let it go, let it go, let it go. Hands are open. As you drop the root of bitterness, the root of David is being released. And he says, I will load you with blessing. I will load you with victory. I will open up space. And let me tell you in this moment, the enemy, Satan, I say, are you watching this? Are you watching this? Sons and daughters are going free. Sons and daughters are going free. You've been held captive to years of abuse, years of pain, years of nightmare. The prisoners are being released. And I want to tell you in this moment, all of heaven is looking and going, are you watching this? We are releasing, releasing people into the future, into the space that I have for them. Let me tell you, with every eye closed in this room, all of heaven is watching this moment. But I want to tell you, no one else is. There's no one else around you. There's no one else that matters. It's you and your heavenly Father. Not the perpetrator, not the person who hurt you, you and your heavenly Father. If you are here today and say, today, this is hard. Increase my faith. Can you lift your hands to him? Lift your hands as you do. Father, I thank you. As hands are lifted up, I pray for grace to meet your people. Grace to forgive. Grace to release. Grace to to, to walk free. I thank you, Father God, that you would meet them right now. Release the Spirit of God right now. That their future will be greater than that of seven sons. That where they were empty, that you will start to fill up. Where they were bitter, you start to pour in pleasantness again. You are opening up space, and we are saying, are you watching us? I'm taking that space. I'm not letting it pass by. I'm not letting somebody else walk past me. I'm taking that space. And God, the root of bitterness shall not be greater than the root of David.